Today on CityCast Denver. After nine long days on the picket lines, King Super's workers woke up Friday morning to the news that their union, the UFCW Local 7, had reached an agreement with King Super's parent company on a new three-year contract. No more picketers at King Super's. The union representing workers say the strike is over as it reaches a tentative deal with Kroger. But this thing isn't over yet. More than 8,000 workers went on strike, and they get to choose when to go back to work. That vote is set for today to either accept this new contract or send union president Kim Cordova back to the negotiating table. Today is Monday, January 24th. I'm Paul Caroli in for Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. Hello. Hello, Miguel. Hey, Paul, how are you? I know Miguel Jimenez through some volunteer work I do on the weekends. And when we were chatting the other day about the big breakthrough in the King Super strike talks, he revealed that not only did he used to work for Kings, he's actually a veteran of several strikes in the 80s and 90s. So as the current workers weigh their votes on this tentative new contract, we thought it would be useful to share some of Miguel's insight into this process and perspective on what the workers are voting on today. So Miguel, you and I were chatting on Friday morning and uh, you told me that you used to work at King Supers and that you'd actually been through a few strikes in your time there. What, what time period did you work for King Supers? Well, I worked there from like 1984 until 19, uh, until 2006, somewhere yeah, around there. So that was one, maybe two or three strikes. I know there was a couple of long ones and then there was a few really, really short ones. Do you remember? Yeah. When I first started working there in 84, we had a strike like a couple of years later and then 96. And then there was a short one, I think. So what was your job at King's? Well, I started out as a courtesy clerk and then I was promoted to a maintenance clerk where they had. King Supers used to have their own maintenance, you know, in-house maintenance to clean the floors and the bathrooms and, and things like that. And then I was promoted to a night crew position, which was um, a highly, you know, sought after position uh, because it, it paid well and you had a good schedule. And and that, those were the two main things about it. I kind of want to talk about the quality of the job for a minute. Like I've heard... Um... I've heard from some other workers and we read this, we talked about this survey on our show last week that, um, that showed like 14% of King Super's employees are living without food security. And we're hearing from employees that they're not really able to live in the same community as their store is in because it doesn't pay enough and the housing prices are too high. What, was it a good job working for King's? Yes, it, it. When I first started working there, it, it was a, a, a it was kind of like you know people looked up to you in your community if you worked at King Supers because they knew that you held a position that had a great pay, great benefits, and um, your family will be provided for working at King Supers. You know, through one paycheck of a 
full-time employee at a King Supers or a Safeway, they were able to raise their family. The rents weren't quite as high, but you know it was a good quality of life to be a, a journeyman employee at either a, uh, you know one of the grocery stores here in town. Um, we uh, we didn't have to worry about um, health insurance uh, when I started working there, and even after the first strike. Um, our health insurance was basically free. It was paid for by the company. We had great benefits to where we would receive um, uh, different types of differential pay. Like for instance, we'd have certain holidays. We'd have uh, like Easter off. Yeah, now Kings is definitely open on Easter, right? Yeah, it's you know we it was a really good paying job. There was no problem about food security. There was always enough. Uh, how would I say, hours to work in this business to where a person who really wanted to, they can, you know, they can rack up the hours and and, uh, work as much as they wanted to. So, yeah, there was never, never any um, issue about uh, food security or uh, rent or paying your bills. No, I think it was a, it was a really thought after and, and um, really well-paying job, you know, in the 80s. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade, hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. So I want to talk to you about the, the strike that's going on right now, because a new contract was announced on Friday morning. And so we're talking on Sunday. Tomorrow, Monday, is the day when more than 8,000 King Supers workers with the UFCW Local 7 are going to vote on that contract. Um, you've mentioned a few times, you went through this process more than once. What, what can you tell me that I wouldn't see just talking to people on the picket line? Well, I started thinking about that. And the thing is that everybody needs to go vote. Because you can't be crying about the contract that you received if you didn't do anything, if you didn't vote for it. Now, a lot of, I think like maybe the 80, 97 contract there, a lot of uh, members did not vote on it because they didn't want to take it. They didn't want to agree to it. You know, they just, they didn't even show up for the vote. Did you ever, did, did the workers ever say no to a contract that the union negotiated? Oh, yeah. We never took like the first thing that they handed to us, or the second thing, or the third thing. We were always trying to fight for our, our, our ben- you know, for benefits, for better, not just better wages, not just right from the beginning, better wages, but you know, just for job security and um, and better benefits at retirement and better healthcare benefits at retirement. So. One one thing that I saw on the local news about this uh, contract announcement from Friday was that neither King Supers nor the union were revealing any details about what they negotiated beyond the fact that it was a three-year contract. 
what what were the length of your contracts back in the day? Uh, the first negotiation I remember was like for five years. And then in 97, that's when they started going to those three-year contracts. And we didn't want to do it. I could remember I, yeah, I could remember us hearing that at a union meeting. You know, we used to have our union meetings at, like, say, uh, the Coliseum when the contract times came around. And uh, I can remember that, you know, people booing that. Yeah. But we had to accept it, you know. So, and then that's when things started going downhill, I think. Then they started bringing in, you know, the the two tier payments, you know, and or three tier or four tier pay categories, you know. So like those people that are getting hired right now for King Supers are not going to get the same benefits as those that are um, are working right now. And I think that's a shame. You know, they should. Um, who knows? They might fight in the future and, and get you know better benefits than anybody has ever expected. So what do you think happened in 1997 that, or actually Miguel, wasn't it 1996? I think it was 1996. Let me, yeah, I've got it right here. 1996. Why was that 1996 strike and the, and the contract that it led to such a turning point? Um, I think we started, you know, I mean, it could have been, uh, let's see. So we went from like Kings to Dylan to Kroger. And then I think like when Kroger's took over, you know, that's when they started making things hard for uh, their employees. You know, they were always worried, you know, it's a big company, you know, they wanted to grow, you know, and so they, they try to um, bust the unions, you know, so three-year contract, that's one way to get things moving, you know, have them. Yeah. But I think Kroger, when they took over the company, it's, it started to go downhill. And that was probably like, when they really started to take over was like in the 90s. Of course, that was also around the same time that uh, Ernie Duran Jr. became president of the UFCW Local 7. Exactly. And that's when um, he, um, he, him and his, uh, nobody knew it. I mean, I didn't, none of us knew it at the store level, you know. Uh, I'm sure things were said, you know, at the union level and things were about, you know, we, he was, you know, hiring his family, and then they had these, um, they were getting really good jobs for high pay, and, you know, that all, all that pay that they got came from our union dues. Hmm. So let's say the workers approve this contract uh, in the vote on Monday. How do we in the public, how do we know if it worked? Like, what, what are you looking for? As a, as a consumer or as a union worker? Yeah, as a shopper. For me, as a shopper, say, let's say I would be looking to see that the employees have very good health care, uh, not just for themselves, but for their family and for the future employees, you know, and great benefits for their retirement. I mean, things are going to cost. I mean, groceries are going to cost. Um, the companies always says that, you know, that, oh, you know, we're going to have to raise prices because now we have to pay our employees this much more money or give them this much more benefit? Well, I don't think so. I think if we, you know, if the company was, if they didn't have to pay some of their, look at the wages of some of the, those executives, you know, and it's in the millions, you know, tens of millions, mm-hmm. you know, maybe they can take a, a, a cut and help the consumer out. You know, that's what I would be looking for, I guess, as a consumer. Miguel Jimenez, thanks for joining me on CityCast Denver. Okay, Paul. Thank you. And here's what else is happening in Denver today. 
How bad is crime in Colorado? That's the headline of a new story from the Denver Post looking at 35 years of crime data to better understand the surge in violent crime we've been seeing reports about the past couple years. Well, it turns out the truth is a lot more complicated than it seemed. While statewide rates of homicide, aggravated assault, and vehicle theft have been up, rates for rape, larceny, robbery, and burglary are level or declining. And that's just one fact worth pondering. It's a fascinating story, and the data is well worth your time. So I'm going to add a link to our show notes and leave you with some advice. Next time you see a story about a crime wave, take it with a grain of salt. Crime is a lot more complicated than any one flashy data point can contain. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell a friend about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. Our regular newsletter writer Peyton Garcia got married over the weekend, so Bree is filling in, and she's got some personal reflections on the strike in today's edition. We'll be back in your feed and your inbox tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Hope you have a good one. <laughs>